Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Chuckle Stack, your guide to all things tech. The podcast where we talk about not being able to play Overwatch 2 because of your service provider and Chris Pratt. So, without further ado, this is your host, Isina Azam, and let's get started, shall we? So, first things first, let's talk Google. They just held their annual fall event just yesterday as of the date of this recording. They showed off the Pixel 7, the Pixel 7 Pro, the Pixel Watch, and a sneak peek at the Pixel Tablet. And guess what? We already knew everything about them from months ago. I really do have to hand it to Google. They have the best marketing strategies of their products. No one talks about Pixels after they've been shown. They only talk about them in leaks. See, this is where Google excels other marketing strategies. So without further ado, let's take a look at the Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro, starting with the Pixel 7, which has a 6.3 inch AMOLED 90Hz display, it's powered by the Google Tensor Gen 2, it has a 4355mAh battery with fast charging up to 30 watts. For storage, you can go from 128 to 256 gigs of UFS 3.1 storage, only 8 gigabytes of RAM, two cameras on the back, a 15 megapixel main camera, and a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera. On the front, you have a simple 10.8 megapixel selfie camera. It comes in three colors: obsidian, lemongrass, and snow, and starts at 5.99. But when it comes to the Pixel 7 Pro, this is where things get interesting. It has a 6.7 inch LTPO AMOLED 120Hz display, again powered by the same Google in-house Tensor chip, a 5000mAh battery with fast charging again up to 30 watts. For storage, 128 to 512 gigs of 3.1 storage, 12 gigs of RAM across the board, 3 cameras on the back, a 50 megapixel main camera, a 48 megapixel telephoto camera, and a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera. On the front, you get the same 10.8 megapixel selfie shooter. It comes in three colors, obsidian, snow, and hazel, and starts at $8.99. Now let's take a look at the design, right? The Pixel 7 and the Pixel 7 Pro look exactly the same as the Pixel 6. You know, the same horizontal uh, camera bar on the back. Not necessarily the thinnest bezels on the front. Same goes for the size of the hole punch cutout for the selfie camera. However, the Google Pixel 7 Pro's uh, horizontal camera bar is now metallic and glossy. The Pixel 7 is just metallic and a bit more matte. Other than that, it's, it's your typical Pixel phone. Software updates and all. Now, where Google can be a bit hit or miss when it comes to hardware and design, they make it up for it with software. Because that's the only good thing they're good at. So, what has Google done with this generation of the latest Pixel phones? Well, all Pixel 7 and 7 Pros will have Google's in-house VPN service available at no extra cost, which is great for consumers, but a bit concerning at the quality of the VPN itself. For the most part, free VPNs are not necessarily the best security-wise. Who knows, maybe Google will do what Windscribe does and just offer the exact same VPN service, but with less available locations and with a specific data cap. And when it comes to camera features, oh boy, there are a lot of them. So, first things first, photo unblur. It's pretty much self-explanatory. We all have those blurry pictures that we really hate, but can't get rid of because it's the only picture of that moment we have. The Pixel 7 and 7 Pros will be able to unblur the images with mostly decent results. Next up, finally, macro focus. The Pixel 7 isn't the first phone with a macro feature, but 
when it comes to Google uh, with their really good image processing, this is really good. Plus, it doesn't take up an extra sensor. It's built right into the ultra-wide camera. Xiaomi, Redmi, whoever at this point, just pl please take notes. We got better super resolution zoom with the 7 Pro having a 5x optical zoom lens compared to the Pixel 6 Pro's 4x zoom. Plus, having a high megapixel main camera uh, allows for really a, a wide range of clear and not as noisy zoomed in images. Again, most of the polish is image processing thanks to the tensor chip. We got cinematic blur mode, which is just the cinematic mode from iPhones, but Google, I suppose. It, it just makes videos look more cinematic, you know? We got better night sight this time around, which I, I do welcome quite a lot. We got guided frame, honestly, perhaps the most helpful feature thus far. Or essentially, as you plan on taking your selfie, uh, the phone's uh, voice assistant tells you where to, s to position the phone to get a good selfie. This is actually really useful for uh, blind or uh, vision impaired people. Other than that, we just got the basic Android 13 updates, nothing really out of the ordinary. But, let's move over to the Pixel Watch. Something definitely everybody asked for. After quitting the wearable business for quite some time, Google is now absolutely confident that wearables are certainly the future. Again. So, the Pixel Watch, it's powered by Wear OS 3.5. Uh, speaking from my experience with the Galaxy Watch 4, it's pretty clean. Obviously, there's going to be UI differences because Samsung is Samsung and Google is Google. But I do expect the UI to look just a bit cleaner on the Pixel Watch, judging again from the images and videos I see. The watch itself isn't all that interesting. It looks like the OnePlus watch, uh, even a Fitbit Sense 2, digital crown on the right with a flat side button. You get a measly 41mm display, which honestly at this point I really welcome that. Like, let's be honest, sure, sometimes bigger is better, but uh, to a certain extent. Not like the behemoth of the Apple Watch Ultra's 49mm display. So at this point, I actually kind of like having a smaller one, even though the bezels are a bit too thick for me. And unlike, say, the Galaxy Watch 4, which uses the bezels uh, as a touch sensor, this doesn't. It's just bezels for bezels' sake. It has 32 gigs of storage, uh, 2 gigabytes of RAM, which honestly is really good for a watch. 32 gigabytes, you can store so many songs on it. Uh, it comes in uh, three colors, matte black, polished silver, and champagne gold with, with an absolute ton of bands. Even though there won't be any third-party ones, until maybe sometime in the future. And last but not least, let's talk t tablets. I, I love tablets. Um... I, I have one. I'm pretty sure a lot of people also have tablets. I mean, it's not that uncommon. But let's be honest. Most, if not all of us, have iPads. So Google's trying to change that with the Pixel tablet with a dock. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the Google Pixel tablet is now officially a two-in-one device. On the go, it's just your typical Android tablet. Honestly, we don't know anything about the specs yet. But at home, just hook it up to the charging speaker dock and experience a Google Nest Hub like you've never seen before. It is essentially just a Nest Hub. 
enhanced audio. There's built-in speakers in the dock. Uh, Google Assistant is a number one priority here because who actually wants to touch their tablets? And of course, you can do the thing that you would normally buy a Nest Hub for. Look at your own photos. And that was Google's event. I mean, it was certainly one of the most events I've ever seen. Now, let's turn the conversation and talk about Xiaomi. Some might say the polar opposite of Google. Some of the best hardware I've ever seen with some of the worst software I've ever seen. Just like Xiaomi's latest flagship phones, the Xiaomi 12T and the 12T Pro. Let's take a look at the 12T, which has a 6.67 inch AMOLED 120Hz display. It's powered by the MediaTek Dimensity 8100 Ultra. You get a 5000mAh battery with fast charging, up to 120 watts. For storage, you can go from 128 to 256 gigs of VFS 3.1 storage, 8 gigs of RAM across the board, 3 cameras on the back, a 108 megapixel main camera, an 8 megapixel ultra wide camera, and a 2 megapixel Y. On the front, you have a 20 megapixel selfie camera. It comes in 3 colors black, silver, and blue, and starts at 399 euros. Now let's move over to the Xiaomi 12T Pro, the more interesting version of course, which has a 6.67 inch AMOLED 120Hz display with Dolby Vision this time. It's powered by the Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. Again, a 5000mAh battery with fast charging up to 120 watts. For storage, 128 to 256 gigs of VFS 3.1 storage, 8 to 12 gigs of RAM, 3 cameras on the, on the back, a 2 100 megapixel main camera, an 8 megapixel ultra wide camera, and another 2 megapixel disappointment. On the front, you get a 12 megapixel selfie camera. It also comes in black, silver, and blue, and starts at 7.99 euros. Okay, now let's discuss the elephant in the room here, shall we? So, the 12T Pro is, I believe, one of the first phones to ever use Samsung's 200 megapixel sensor, while the 12T has a mere 108 megapixel camera. That That is disgusting. Only losers get phones with 108 megapixel cameras. That is absolutely disgusting. Only cool people, only gigachads get the 12T Pro with 200 megapixels. But when it comes to the image processing itself, uh, that's a whole different topic. Imagine buying a Xiaomi 12T, am I right? Now, we're pretty much done with our phones segment for the week. Let's move over to also a very interesting segment, PCs and laptops. Starting with, of course, the highlight, Intel's Arc GPUs. Yes, they're real. I'm so, frankly, I'm, I'm quite surprised by that. And apparently, they're pretty good bang for your buck. So, we got the Arc A750 and the Arc A770. Both GPUs are targeted for more so 1080p gaming, maybe 1440p, but it can reach 4K at some times. Think of an RTX 3060 or an RX 6600 XT. Th that's pretty much the level where the Arc A770 reaches. It has some really high highs with some disgustingly low lows. All you need to know is that the, uh, the Arc A770 costs $329 with the A750 costing $289. Now, y you might think these are some great values, like ch cheap GPUs, that's incredible. Only after Intel kind of screwed things up when it comes to gaming, but we'll get there when we get there. Overall, if you're playing a somewhat new title, you're getting some great results. On average, you can expect around 75 to 80 uh, FPS 
for the A750 at 1080, 1080p Ultra, with the A770 reaching almost 85 FPS again on 1080p Ultra. The A750 barely edges out against the RTX 3060, with the A770 for the most part tied with the RX 6600 XT from AMD. However, advantages become a bit clearer when we move over to 1440p Ultra, where the A770 uh, reaches an average of 66 or 70 frames per second, respectably more than the RX 6650 and 6600 XT, with the RX A750 reaching almost 60 frames per second, just again barely edging out the RTX 3060. Of course, you can gain some incredible performance by turning on resizable bar, where instead of using the RAM as a mediator between the GPU and the CPU, resizable bar just removes the third party, allowing direct access of communication between the VRAM and the CPU. So if you can, turn it on. Like, why wouldn't you? When it comes to ray tracing, the A750 and A770 really don't disappoint, sometimes beating the RTX 3060 and at most times beating AMD's offerings. I should note, newer games are built around DirectX 11 or sometimes even DirectX 12, which is mainly what the Arc GPUs were designed for. When we move over to older games, let's say DirectX 9, this is where uh, you know the cracks start to appear. Arc GPUs don't run DirectX 9 natively, they instead translate it to DirectX 12 and then run the game. Sure, it, it works, absolutely, but it does mean significant drops in performance. When it comes to, say, I don't know, LEGO Batman 2 DC superheroes, Arc GPUs are abysmal at performance. So to summarize, the A770 and the A750 are risky. If you're planning on only playing somewhat new games with DirectX 11 or 12, or benefiting from something like the AV1 encoding, uh, say, I don't know, streaming on Twitch, or even just running uh, creative applications in general, I'd say these are good value. Uh, they're competitive against the RTX 3060 and the RX 6600 XT, and they're pretty cheap. But if you do want to play some older games, uh, before DirectX 11, uh, I'd say go look for something else. Still, a very Intel introduction to the GPU business. In other news, the RTX 40 series are... I, I don't know, I mean, they exist. I, I can't get them, I only have one kidney, because I already sold the other for a 3090 Ti. I'm not sure if... I can live without both. I should look into selling an arm. Huh. Anyways, let's let's look at something just cheaper. Um how about laptops? Can we talk about laptops? Yeah. Specifically, the ThinkPad X1 30th anniversary edition. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. ThinkPad is officially 30 years old. 30 years old. The logo is RGB. By that I mean the the pad in ThinkPad is red, green, and blue. Moving over to the actual laptop, let's talk about the specs. So, for the 30th ed uh, anniversary edition, which costs 4,000 US dollars, which is just insane, you get a, uh, a Core i7-1270P V Pro processor, 32 gigs of LPDDR5 RAM, a 14-inch IPS uh, panel with 60Hz refresh rate, which, fine. 
You also get RGB trackpoint caps. So, yeah. It's got a webcam, uh, it's got speakers, it's got a trackpad. Oh, the, the cover is also uh, carbon fiber, I should note that too. Eight ports on the side, two USB Thunderbolt ports, one for power, one for data, one USB A3.2 Gen 1 port, this, okay. Uh, one HDMI 2.0B port, uh, a headphone jack, optional, a nano SIM slot, another USB A3.2 Gen 1 port, and a Kensington lock. So, let me just say, what a way to celebrate 30 years of ThinkPads, um, track points. Now, let's talk video games. Starting off with Overwatch 2, which launched, um, and uh, some people played it, uh, but most were just waiting in the queue of 40,000 people. Why? I mean, Really? I mean, Overwatch 2 is, is just Overwatch 1. Did Blizzard really have so many players that their servers couldn't keep up with it? Did they really? There's also been some DDoS attacks, which is unfortunate, but it's the time we live in now. Not to mention the fact that most people couldn't even play Overwatch 2. Not just because of the, the insane queuing, but also a form of two-factor authentication where uh, new members, when signing up, had to link their phone numbers. Yeah, I really wouldn't necessarily trust Activision Blizzard with my, with my phone number, but even then, I can't even play the game. See, um, Activision Blizzard, at the beginning of the launch of Overwatch 2, they only accepted post-paid lines. So, say you're prepaid, uh, say, uh, I don't know, you use Mint Mobile, for example. You can't play the game. Because of your service provider. Now that's rich. The servers did go on uh, offline for a bit to fix some of these issues. Uh, Blizzard is backtracking on that SMS protect feature. So overall, things aren't looking too hot for Overwatch 2. And it hasn't even been a week. In other news... A new Need for Speed game has been revealed, uh, dubbed Need for Speed Unbound, with un uh, an art style heavily resembling uh, Japanese or anime style in general. But other than that, it's your typical Need for Speed game with you know all your police chase sequences. Uh, it's coming in December 2 on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. The PS4 or Xbox One, those weren't necessarily mentioned. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is a current gen only game. Good news for Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard as uh, Brazil has approved the acquisition. Good for Microsoft and their 70 billion dollars not going to waste. First Saudi Arabia approved it, then uh, Brazil, and hopefully the rest of the planet. CD Projekt Red. They seem to have the greatest comeback ever seen in the history of gaming. After the cyberpunk anime show thing came out on Netflix, a lot of people played cyberpunk, which has been improved a lot since its launch. Good for CD Projekt Red. So, a tweet has shown the next major steps of the studio when it comes to their next projects. They're developing multiple full-size games at once, 
we got um, Cyberpunk Orion, which is the code name for the next Cyberpunk game. We got The Witcher Polaris. We got Canis Majoris, another Witcher game, and Sirius, also The Witcher. So we got three Witcher games, one Cyberpunk game, and Haydar, a brand new IP we've never seen before. So um, honestly, a very good redemption arc for uh, for CD Projekt Red. I'm glad to see that I don't know they're still making games. Hopefully, all of them are good, and let's just hope that the games launch in a polished state. The Street Fighter 6 closed beta starts today. Uh, I don't have access, but um, I know I'm not necessarily the most excited to play this game. I'm personally more of a multiverse kind of guy myself. So there's going to be no offline uh, couch co-op multiplayer for now. Uh, there's only going to be 8 uh, players to choose from, 6 different locations, and 3 different modes. Which include casual, ranked, and extreme battle. Of course, we've all seen the trailer yesterday. Come on, you have to admit, you, you, you did see the trailer, right? The Super Mario Brothers movie trailer, uh, which stars Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, with guest star Jack Black, and and Chris Pratt. In my personal opinion, the animation looks fantastic. The character design looks. Uh, a bit too weird for me, like it's a bit in that uncanny valley sort of way. Maybe I got used to the Nintendo design of Mario and Bowser, which makes sense. They've been designing in the exact same way for over 20 years. But uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily sold on Chris Pratt as Mario. I, I know, I know, I know. Calm down, calm down. I, I still think Chris Pratt's the greatest person on this planet. But I don't think he's a very good Mario. Like, come on, the French dub sounds more like Mario than Mario. Uh, Jack Black looks like a very interesting Bowser. I do like that they included the penguins uh, from uh, Super Mario 64. Uh, Toad looks like he's gonna be just the most annoying character on the planet. And uh, yeah, it's a very Illumination looking movie, let's be honest. Where the character design uh, and, I don't know, the squash and stretch animation in general, it looks very Illumination. I can only hope the movie turns out to be good. So far, I like the premise even though the premise isn't necessarily that clear. So Mario visits the Mushroom Kingdom for the first time by going through a pipe. The question is, where did he come from? Brooklyn? Italy? I don't know, someplace else? Who knows? A big F on the chat for whoever played Stadia or has bought a game on Google Stadia, as of course everyone knows that Stadia is getting uh, closed down next January. Well, Ubisoft is trying to be the good guy here and offering free PC codes for any Stadia player that has played a Ubisoft game. Quote, while Stadia will shut down on January 18, 2023, we're happy to share that we're working to bring the games you own to, uh, on Stadia to PC through Ubisoft Connect. We'll have more to share regarding specific details as well as the impact for Ubisoft Plus subscribers at a later date. So I guess we're getting more details later. Honestly, a fantastic move from Ubisoft. Thank you. I, I, I never subscribed to Stadia Pro or bought any Ubisoft game on Stadia. Or even played Stadia in general. But I can respect this decision. Moving on, Battlefield 2042 is getting a new event. The Liquidators event, which comes uh, October 11th, a couple of days away. Of course, there's free rewards, some new cosmetics and skins, and... Any mode. So you play as a liquidator, 
uh, pretty much just a member of a vicious hit squad uh, against dark market forces or threatening your business. So the new mode is Tactical Conquests, where, quote, you're pitted against opposing squads where you try to capture and hold three flags, win the rounds by depleting the enemy tickets. Since this is a two-week event, uh, player counts will rotate. The first week will have 8v8, while the second week will have 16v16. Glad to see AA not completely giving up on uh, Battlefield 2042. I'm looking at you, Halo Infinite, which is a whole other kind of worms. But uh, yeah, I mean, content is content, am I right? Even free content is content. Let's just hope they don't monetize colors again. Fantastic news if you're looking for a Steam Deck, you can buy one without reserving one. Finally, you don't have to wait possibly months or weeks or who knows, possibly years until you get a Steam Deck. And by the time you finally get it, there's going to be probably a Steam Deck 2, Steam Deck Pro, whatever Valve's going to do next. So it's great that you can finally get the Steam Deck as well as the dock without reserving one. The Steam Deck dock costs 80 bucks and has the same uh, one to two week delivery estimates as the deck itself. And last thing on the list is PlayStation. We can't forget them, right? Uh, well, a new exploit has been found on the PS5. For any unit with firmware version 4.03 or before, you can now jailbreak your PS5. PlayStation Stars, which is essentially uh, Sony's uh, new loyalty and reward program for members, is finally available in the US and Asia, with a release in Europe sometime in the future. Once you join Stars, you get a new icon near your uh, profile avatar. You just tap it to see your campaigns, your rewards, and what collectibles you have. Buying some specific games earns you points. So one game gives you 50 points, you can use the points uh, for other collectibles, PlayStation Store credit, or even some games, like It Takes Two, Hades, and Cult of the Lamb. However, it will take a lot of points. Uh, 5,000 points is 20 bucks. And the most expensive reward, which is the quarry, costs 17,500 points. So yeah, you're gonna have to do a lot of grinding on this one. And last but not least, let's talk about Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, oh, oh excuse me, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, 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 right. Totally not in 2017 again. So, there's been talk about a potential remaster of Horizon Zero Dawn. A game that released in 2017, five years ago. Five years is nothing, right? Everyone complains about re-releasing The Last of Us Part 1 and 2. Well, how about remastering a game that doesn't even need remastering? It already looks fantastic. In my opinion, wait a couple more generations uh, until there's actually going to be a visible difference in animation, graphics quality, whatever, and then remaster it. Who knows, maybe Sony's just getting more desperate for money. Ladies and gentlemen, we have moved on to the tiny topics. Twitter's edit button is finally rolling out in the US for paying Twitter Blue subscribers. It was previously available in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Speaking of Twitter, Elon Musk is buying Twitter again, for the exact same price, as if nothing ever happened. Why, you may ask? Honestly, I have no idea. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. These, these multi-billionaires and multi-billion dollar corporations, man. And if you're the owner of a multi-billion dollar corporation looking for even more ways to make money, take a look at YouTube and Instagram. YouTube is locking 4K playback behind premium subscriptions. So those 4K HDR videos of, I don't know, turtles in the sea, you won't necessarily get the full experience unless you 
you pay. For now, it's in the testing phase, but who knows, maybe, I, maybe YouTube actually does stick with their words and keep 4K premium only. First, we get 10 ads, excuse me, 7 ads, then 10 ads, then 12 ads, and then we can't even play 4K. Now, for Instagram, they're doing something uh, a bit simpler, a bit more humane, if you will. They're bringing more ads, specifically in the profiles and explore pages, which does suck, but hey, at least they're not uh, locking some features that were once free, and then locking it behind the paywall. This is something beyond dystopian. Uh, even more questionable news, Apple just seems to hate physical SIM cards, so the Apple SIM card, if, if you do own one, can no longer activate new cellular data plans on iPads. So if you're using an Apple SIM right now, you better find a new one. Or you could go the easy way and give in to the eSIM. But hey, at least there's some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to iPhones, as the European Parliament has officially adopted a new law, making uh, all phones and other small devices required to use USB-C charging. So, could this mean the next iPhone will have USB-C charging? Maybe the one after it? So, the iPhone 16, since we're talking about 2024? But who knows, maybe they mean the beginning of 2024, so in this case, it could be the iPhone 15. I don't know, it's, it's a long rabbit hole, nobody knows what's exactly gonna happen. But I can certainly tell you, the future of iPhones is gonna get very interesting from now on. And, to end things off for this episode, Matter is officially out! It's a universal connectivity standard for smart home devices, so light bulbs, and like garage door openers, door locks. So no matter which brand you buy it from, it if it supports Matter, then it should work across a multitude of apps. And with that, we close the book of everything that's happened this week. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please make sure to listen to the other episodes of the podcast. And don't be afraid to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this episode from. As always, this is Yisina Azam, signing out. See you next weekend.